Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us again for the program. And you could read that and go, I wonder what that means. Very difficult to have it mean anything other than what it says. Paul thinks you have been fooled. There are plenty of examples of dodgy theology. Some arcing back to the New Testament itself when people tried to make salvation a checklist. But Jesus was always clear, salvation is by faith alone. When a person puts their faith or trust in what Christ has done for them, they are justified by that faith, not by their own effort. It all comes down to faith, as we'll discover as we join Dr. Corbett now. His message, Hearing with Faith. I'm going to be worshipping and you can listen in and I want my hope is that it'll also help you to worship. And worship in the Christian sense is not the same as many other religions where you have to offer perhaps uh, when we were in Indonesia, we saw people offering rice to the Hindu gods in Bali. And we've been in other parts of the world where they'll they'll even offer animals and, and as if the gods are going to the gods are going to be worshipped by the slaying of a chicken or something like that. But our God wants our heart. Our worship is expressed from our heart. And our heart is a word that the Bible uses to describe our mind, where we think. People sometimes come up, and, and you may have said this to me and, and felt the, the wrath of my response, when they say, can I, can I just pick your brain for a moment? Like, you've got to appreciate what that conjures up in my imagination. Scalpel. I, I just had a surgical procedure a week ago where they actually went in and poked things into my brain. And it, I just tell you, it's not a pleasant thing. So don't come to me and ask if you can pick my brain. But do, by all means, come and say, can I just pick your mind for a moment? Your thoughts. But not the hardware. Please. I've got enough problems now with that. Jeesh. So what I want to do is fill your heart with what I hope is a clearer, grander, more majestic vision of the Christ that we serve. We've not been putting on a show. I've mentioned this before. This is not for your entertainment. This is for his pleasure. And that song by John Piper that my delight is to give you joy in that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. That is magical. That is just wonderful. And so what I hope is that as we open God's Word, and in a moment we're going to be looking at the first um, 14 verses of Galatians chapter 3, and there's some pretty strong stuff in here, but Paul's writing this with, with a, a pastor's heart to help the people of Galatia, which in our modern maps is modern uh, southern Turkey. He wants, he wants them to have a clearer vision of who Christ is and what he's done. And the problem we've got today is that when we talk about Christianity, a word that's not used very often in the New Testament, by the way, but people come up with all, all these misplaced ideas about what that means. And really what I want to do is to help you to appreciate that it's actually about worshipping Jesus. I think that's the ultimate journey of someone who claims to be a Christian. To worship Jesus means you surrender to him. That is actually what worship means, to surrender. 
So you may have seen people here this morning lifting their hands as an act of surrender because from their heart there is, I want to surrender to you. So that's what this is about. So let's pray. Father, it is with great delight that we give you joy now by stilling our minds, settling our hearts to think of you and your word. And Father, I pray that as we do this, you would speak to all those who are joining with us online, those who are present here, and especially those who are here, that not only will your word be heard, but your word will be felt. That people would experience something of your word that will transform their life from this moment on. So I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, a, a, for me, a short series that we're doing through Galatians. The, the series is Freedom in Christ because that's the expression that Paul uses in this epistle repeatedly in either an abbreviated form or straight up by saying it, for freedom Christ has set us free and things like this. And to be free, as we're going to hear other speakers over the next month or so supplement the, these um, messages, is something that I think our culture needs right now. People need to be set free. I so appreciated Elizabeth saying that the, the feelings that she had toward her father who had let her down needed to be dealt with before he passed away. Uh, that's such a beautiful thing. Because in one sense, when we talk about forgiving others, we can think it's for their benefit, but it's, it's actually for our benefit. When we forgive others, we take something that's gripping our soul and strangling the life out of it. And that forgiveness releases us. And it may not do anything for the person you have in your heart forgiven, but it'll do everything for you. It'll make you sweeter, which is one of the goals of my life, as I told Kim. She said, boy, you've got a long way to go. But... So let me give you a little bit of background here. Galatians, I mentioned it's, it's southern Turkey. This is the modern era, This is or the modern, modern maps, that's where it would be. Paul's gone there with his very good friend slash mentor, Barnabas. Barnabas was what his, not his name, that was his nickname. And, and in that language, if we were to hear it in their language, we would hear in English, the encourager. That's what Barnabas means, the encourager. And his actual name was Joseph, but no one called him that. So Barnabas and Paul went to this region and they preached. They had tremendous opposition. But when the opposition came, God granted them extraordinary miracles. Things happened there that were incredible and extraordinary, including the hostility toward Paul's preaching so intense that he was stoned with rocks and left for dead. And in fact, Dr. Luke tells us that when they gathered around him there, Dr. Luke says, well, I thought he was dead, says the doctor, until we prayed for him and he stood up and went, right, let's go. And they were astounded. So there were some pretty amazing things that happened in their time at Galatia. And Paul's about to remind the Galatians about this. In fact, what we're going to see as we look in this section, 
Paul's actually going to do something, and I will make this point as, as we get there, that when they heard the gospel, something was birthed in them that he calls faith. Hearing with faith, he's going to remind them. And in fact, it must be important to Paul to remind them about this because he says it twice within about two verses in this section that we're going to look at. And this raises for me a question that when we come on a Sunday to hear the preaching of the Word of God, what do you expect will happen? What do you expect will happen? To hear with faith means that you are prepared to let the Word of God do something in you that causes you to come closer to Christ and be a brighter witness for Him. That's hearing with faith. So let's have a look. I just want to remind you that Paul had been accused by false teachers who'd come in after Paul and Barnabas had left. And these false teachers had said, Paul hasn't really been preaching the true gospel, the true message of Christ. I mean, after all, Paul was not one of the original disciples, one of the original apostles. He was someone who has come on the heels of them. So he never really walked with Jesus like the other apostles did, which is, I think, one of the reasons why Christ did appear to Paul on the road to Damascus. And he appeared to Paul and spoke directly to him. So Paul felt that he had the authority, the same authority that the original 12 disciples had. But when he met with Cephas, he had already, as we've seen, he'd already met with Peter. He records that in Galatians chapter 1. It was in private. But now he and Barnabas have moved out of Galatia and gone back to their home church, which is Antioch. And it was when he was in Antioch, he, he narrates the story in chapter 2, that he confronted Cephas. Cephas and it's interesting, he calls Peter Cephas. Cephas is a word that means sort of blows with the breeze. Jesus called him Peter, the rock that can't be moved. And here Paul deliberately calls him Cephas because that was his character. He just, he just went with the flow. And Paul narrates that when he was in Antioch, he arrived there hearing that Peter, Cephas, had become swayed by the messengers from the Apostle James. The Apostle James, the literal younger brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, obviously the son of Joseph and Mary, where Jesus was just the son of Mary. We see here that Peter, Cephas, when these messengers from the Apostle James had told them, go to Galatia and go to Antioch, and correct Paul, because Paul is not, is not upholding the law of Moses, and that's called the Torah. The Torah is the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible. And so the messengers from James arrived, and there was the apostle Peter, the one Christ appointed as the leader, having dinner with Gentiles who had not become Jews. And these messengers from James publicly rebuked him and he said, okay, I'll, I'll back off. And he refused to mingle with non-Jews, Gentiles. So what did, what did Paul do? He confronted him 
And while his initial meeting that he describes in Galatians chapter 1 was a private meeting between him and Peter, this one was a public meeting. Can you imagine that? A public meeting where there's a dinner party and in walks Paul. And Paul stands there and says, Peter, Cephas, what you are doing is not right. You know that the gospel does not demand Gentiles to become Jews first in order to be right with God. You know that. How did Paul know that Peter knew that? Because Christ had showed him that. We read in Acts chapter 10 that Peter actually received a vision of a net that came down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it. And he heard the vision from heaven say, take and eat. And he said, I can't take what is unclean and eat. And the vision said, do not call unclean what God has said is now clean. In other words, these Gentile people who are not Jews, they're my people now. They're mine. All right. So that was the confrontation that Paul had had with Cephas, Peter. And he writes this to the Galatians. And that would have given his gospel tremendous authority. And let's just recap what that gospel is. Being made right with God is accepting that Jesus Christ has done everything that you can't do for yourself in order for you to be made right with God. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. So the Galatians, they would have seen this episode that Paul's just told them about in chapter 2 and said, well, hang on. That means that these messengers from James that have come to us and told us, men, we have to be circumcised, we have to wear the cap, that we have to do all this other stuff, that means that's actually not true. Paul was right in the first place. So that's what would have happened. When Paul arrived, it appears that Barnabas had gone on there before him and not only had Peter cowered to these messengers from James, but so had his mentor, Barnabas. And you can, as we read through Galatians chapter 2, we, we can feel the disappointment that the very mentor that he had that went with him to Galatia to teach these Gentiles, these non-Jews, that's what Gentile means. You don't need to become religious in order to be made right with God. You just need to put your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you. I said before, the goal of being a Christian is to worship God, and that is to surrender to him. But then he saw Barnabas refusing to mix with Gentiles. I reckon Paul would have been devastated. He would have been so upset. It's that picture, I don't know if you've seen the movie Braveheart, where William Wallace is fighting for the freedom of Scotland. And there's a black knight, as in black helmet and black cape and on a black horse, who who rides out against him. And it turns out that it's the the one who should be king of Scotland who's now been paid off by the English. And You remember that scene when when William Wallace is knocked off his horse and this black knight comes and he lifts the black knight's mask off and he sees, this is the one. Actually, I'm fighting for you and you're betraying me. I can imagine that kind of emotion would have been how Paul would have felt with Barnabas. So Paul's first meeting, that was private. But this one, that was very public. And that's why he tells us about it in Galatians chapter 2. 
And this is what we need to know. There's some big words in this epistle to the Galatians, and one of them is justification, justified. They're big words. They may not, be, may not have a lot of letters in them, but, but it's a big, big concept. It means this, that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you acknowledge that he has died for your sins, he's taken your guilt and shame, and he's paid the price that God demands for justice to be served, if you accept that and your next heartbeat is your last and you are whisked to the gate of heaven and you stand before God who's on the throne of judgment and says to you, why should I not judge you right now and condemn you for all eternity? You have a very simple answer if you've given your life to Christ. Because I believe that when Jesus said, if I trust him, he would take care of all that for me. And if you've done that, you would hear the Father say, come on in. All debts have been cancelled because they've been paid by my son. That process is called being justified. Justice has been served. And Paul is going to make the point, you can't earn it, by offering a little bowl of rice or slaying a chicken or a goat or a sheep or a bull. You can't earn it by anything you do. It's by faith in Christ. And that word faith means trust. You trust him. You trust that he's done it. And what we're going to read here in Paul's epistle to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul actually says, this faith that I'm talking about, even that's a gift. So you might be here thinking, I could never do that. I don't, I don't, I'm just not religious enough. You don't have to be religious enough. You might have been a church-going, Christian-identifying person for the last 20, 30, 40 years, and the money may never have dropped into the parking meter for you, that it's not about what you do, it's about what Christ has done. In the home group that I led a couple of weeks ago, filling in, there for a home group leader, we were talking about how you spell religion. How do you spell religion? You spell it D-O. How do you spell Christianity? D-O-N-E. Christ has done it all. So this doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone is one of the central claims of Christianity. Therefore, unlike the way I was raised, and my mum's probably watching on the live stream now and she was here yesterday for my birthday. If you're wondering what all those balloons are, they're called embarrassing. That's what they're called. And my mum insisted that whenever we went to church, my mum, good Methodist, she, she said, whenever we go to church, you put your best Sunday clothes on because we're going in to meet the King of Kings. And we had to wear, a even as a young, a tie. We had to wear... Fine, the best clothes we could put on because we're going to... But here's the deal. Okay, I'm going to say this. You, you don't have to do that. But where, where's Jack Sladden? Where is he? Up the, back. up the back, yeah. It doesn't mean you can get up here and wear shorts. <laughs> no, nah, you can. Just don't do it again. And... <laughs> so... That's the background. Come with me now 
Galatians, if you've got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, this is some of the strongest words, verse 1, in the New Testament. So Paul has told the Galatians, you know, these false teachers have come in and they've told you that I haven't preached the real gospel to you. They've told you a lie. They've told you that the original apostles, that's what they preach. I confronted the original apostles and this is what happened. So he's told them that. And now he's going to say this to them, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And you could read that and go, I wonder what that means. Well, very difficult to have it mean anything other than what it says. Paul thinks you have been fooled. And that Greek word means it has an A in front of it, which, which means you, you cancel out whatever the verb is, like a theist believes in God. A theist means doesn't believe in God. And this Greek word has an A in front of the word think. So it means you haven't been thinking right. You haven't been thinking right about what I've said and what they've said. What they've said is deception. And this word bewitched, this is one of the the few places it's used in the New Testament. And it is the strongest possible language you could use because it means to cast a spell on. It is witchcraft. It is a spiritual Warfare, weapon against the believer. And Paul says the Galatians, these people who had encountered the gospel, encountered the Holy Spirit, had now been subject to spiritual witchcraft and deception. Why? What happened? Well, I've just been telling you what happened. Someone came in and preached something that was not true. And we might think, well, there's multiple ways to interpret the the Bible and the gospel and so on. No, there's not multiple ways. God has one gospel. And Paul says this in the opening verses of this epistle. He says, they come and they preach to you another gospel. Then he says, what am I saying another gospel? There is no other gospel. There's only one gospel. And that is this, Jesus Christ died for you. He died in your place. Put your faith and trust in him. He will take the penalty of your sin, guilt and shame. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter who knows what you've done, you can come to Christ right now. You don't need to speak to a man on the other side of a cage. You don't need to offer bowls of rice or slay a chicken. Please, in fact, don't do that. You just need to come to Christ and say, here I am, unworthy. And I receive what you're offering. And what he's offering is forgiveness. But it's much more than that. So we have here Paul saying, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. How on earth was that done? How was that done? You see, what we have is Christ who was preached by Paul. And he says that it was by the preaching of the gospel that we see, Paul says, we presented to you Christ, the one who was crucified. I think we hear that and we think, yeah, that reminds me of a piece of jewellery I wear. I wear a crucifix. And we have this sanitised, pathetic 
concept of what crucifixion is. But if someone was crucified, it was the ultimate humiliation in the Greco-Roman world. This was not some badge of honour, but Paul says it was the highest honour. So you'd imagine the, the Galatians hearing this, who would have seen outside their city literally wooden crosses with people that Romans, the Romans had pinned with nine inch iron nails to that thing. You can imagine the Galatians going, what do you mean this is the glory of Christ? What do you mean this is the central claim of the Bible, the gospel itself, that Christ was crucified? This is an ultimate act of humiliation. So you can imagine the, the, there's, there's no possibility that the Galatians could go, well, I don't remember you mentioned anything about a cross. It would have been such a shock for Paul to describe the crucifixion by the Romans of Jesus Christ and not have heard it. And yet, when they heard it, something happened. Now, this is what I want to point out kind of briefly, is that so central to the Christian message that Christ was crucified, it went into the earliest creeds of the church. We have two creeds that we share fairly regularly in our church, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and both of them describe Christ who was crucified for our sins. But Paul's going to mention something here in these 14 verses that we're looking at that none of the creeds mention. And one of my favourite New Testament scholars, Dr. David De Silva, he makes a point about this because he says, this is odd. This is really odd that the ecumenical creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, they tell us about Christ crucified. But Paul goes way beyond Christ crucified because he says there's something else that was going on here. And Dr. David De Silva says, have you noticed when you look at Galatians 3, when Paul's scolding the Galatians for abandoning the message that he preached, how often he talks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy, not just who the Holy Spirit is, but what the Holy Spirit did when you received the gospel? You see, when we were in England, I was invited over to England to, to lecture for a couple of weeks there, and we heard the pastor say this, you might wonder if you've ever given your life to Christ. You might wonder that. But if you've given your life to Christ, you'll know something's changed. In the same way that if you ever went up to an electric fence and wondered if it was on, you would not wonder if you touched it. Have you, has anyone ever touched an electric fence? You don't wonder. I've got to tell you, I, I had seven uncles, and they are all farmers, and one of them had the sickest, no, they probably all did, sickest sense of humour. So I'm like seven years of age, one of my first memories of going on the farm. And he goes, here, just put your hand on the fence. <laughs> you know that thing's on. You feel it straight away. And Paul's saying, when you gave your life to Christ and we prayed for you, you knew something happened to you. And it's almost like I'm getting the thing, man, it's almost like my seven-year-old experience of touching that fence once, which I told my brother he should do when he came down. <laughs> and Paul says that through the preaching of the word, you saw Christ crucified. 
It wasn't just, oh, that was a nice lecture. No, something filled your heart, your imagination. I said to you, the, the Bible uses the word heart as the place where you think, as a man thinks in his heart, the Bible says. And so there's an imagination that happened for these Galatians. And Paul says it was by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just my words that did it. It was through the preaching that this happened, that Christ was presented to you because the Holy Spirit did something. He took the words of the prophets, the words of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, Amos, who spoke about the sufferings of the Messiah and the Holy Spirit made real to you. Don't tell me this gospel didn't transform your life because it did. There's something powerful at work here. The prophets foretold that Christ would be not just killed, not just sacrificed, but that he would be crucified. Weirdly, one of the most beautiful things I've ever read was written by a 23-year-old young man in about 300 AD. His name is Athanasius, and in Latin it's called the Incarnation Verbi Dei, which means the incarnation of the word. And I read this from a 23-year-old young man, Athanasius, and I thought, my goodness me, God had got a grip of this guy. And if I could tell you more about him, I would tell you about how he was the one who at the Council of Nicaea rebuked bishops and so on, much older than him, who didn't really understand the scriptures. Amazing. He went on to become a bishop himself. But in, in his incarnation of the word, which C.S. Lewis says every Christian should read, and I think he says every Christian should read it probably once a year, C.S. Lewis speaks so highly of this short little book. So when I read it, and I read Athanasius saying it was absolutely imperative that Jesus was lifted up on a cross and go and die in the air. And i would never seen this before. And this 23-year-old guy nearly 2,000 years ago had written about this. And he said, because the forces of evil are described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians as the forces of the air. And when Christ died in the air, he was defeating not just sin, death, shame and guilt, but all the wicked forces that attempt to bring evil into this world. And I thought, my goodness me. God, you're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. Paul the Apostle says to the Galatians, you know something happened when you received the gospel. You know that that was not just a thing you did, it was a, an actual transaction. And you know that when you did that, you received the Spirit. And he says in verse 2, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by, hear, by here it is, hearing with faith? You could come here today and just hear the words and go, meh, rah, 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 rah. Or you could go, God, speak to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to the Galatians and they heard something. And what they heard, it did something in their soul. And here's another big word, regeneration. To regenerate means you take something that has died and you bring it back to life. And the Bible says if you don't know Christ, if you haven't given your life to Christ, spiritually you are dead 
And dead in the Bible language means to be cut off from the life source. And God is the ultimate life source. You will meet many religious people who have never given their life to Christ. You will meet many people who are pastors, sadly, who've never given their life to Christ. I just read a, a, another book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and he describes people who've been, who rejected Christ, were sent to hell, but given another chance to come into heaven. And so there's a bus that picked them up and took them to the outskirts of heaven. And one of them was an archbishop. And he gets there, and one of the holy ones comes to talk to him and says, Come this way. And he says, oh, no, I, I can't come that way. No, you'll come, come this way and you'll meet with God and you'll have your sins dealt with. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm an archbishop. He says, you still need your sins forgiven. No, you don't understand. Back where I've just come from, I was about to give a lecture. And it was going to be a really good lecture. There wouldn't be anyone listening to it, but it was going to be a really good lecture. I think I'd rather go back and give that lecture. And the Holy One is pleading with him. Your lecture can't result in your sins being forgiven only christ can only christ can and the archbishop says no i think i'd rather go back thank you to the place where no one was going to tell him what to do please don't let that be your heart today paul says to the galatians are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, and this is what David De Silva points out. Notice how often Paul emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit and that you're now being perfected in the flesh. The flesh means your efforts. Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, and this is what Ronnie was talking about, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to, here's another big word, sanctification, which means your growth as a Christian to becoming a worshipper, to becoming a worshipper. So when a person accepts the gospel, they turn to Christ. And how do they do it? Because God gives them another gift. And you might think, I could never change my ways. Yeah, I've got good news for you. He'll give you that gift as well. All you've got to do is ask him. The word, another big word, repentance. He'll turn you around. You might be battling with something you know is not right and you shouldn't be doing. I'm going to tell you now, Christ can help you break that cycle and that bondage. And the Holy Spirit, when you come to Christ, he doesn't leave you there. He wants to, here's the word, sanctify you. He wants to change you. That's what the word sanctification means. These Galatians initially suffered a lot of persecution, Paul says. Did you suffer so many things for no point? That's what it means, in vain. If indeed it was in vain, does he who, here it is again, supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's question is answered by hearing with faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates a believer. That is a person who comes to him and says, God, please forgive me. I want to live for you now. Please help me. He also strengthens and enables a believer to persevere through any suffering they go through. And that's a part of sanctification. 
And Paul tells them it was in the power of the Holy Spirit that God worked miracles. And you saw the miracles. You saw the raising of the dead. You saw blind eyes open. You saw the lame walk. You know that was the power of the Holy Spirit. That did not come from being circumcised. That came from the Holy Spirit confirming the gospel that I and Barnabas preached to you. And he says, just as Abraham believed God, he just trusted God. And this is centuries before Moses came. Abraham didn't have to keep the law of Moses because Moses wasn't even born yet. And it was counted to him as righteousness, which is what you need in order to be a child of God admitted into his eternal kingdom. Paul's writing to the Galatians, it's only six chapters, but it became something that he expanded on when he wrote to the Romans. And he said the same thing again, he just expanded it. And both of these epistles talk about the importance of, of accepting the gift of being justified. It's super important. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And this is the thing that gripped Martin Luther, transformed his world and literally transformed the world. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith. These are the people who are not religious. Through the gospel being preached beforehand to Abraham saying, shall all the nations be blessed. Paul's saying here, the people who are not Jews, all they have to do is trust Christ and they will be more right than all those people who do all this religious stuff and yet don't even know who God is. Abraham was justified not by keeping the law of Moses. As I mentioned, Moses hadn't even been born yet. By simply, Abraham was trusting God. That's it. So then, those who are of faith, in other words, those who have trusted Christ, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I've heard, when I grew up, I heard, that Jews who become Christians have a double blessing. Well, that may be the case, but we have an equal blessing, as it says here. We are equally blessed. No one has an advantage by what nation they were born in. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And this is Paul's point. No one's done it. No one's ever kept all the things in the law. So who are those? who have been blessed along with Abraham, Gentiles, those who have given their life to Christ without even being religious. And Paul writing here, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by keeping religious laws. In fact, even the prophets said, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith, by faith in Christ. The law of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So there we have, this is probably, for many people, is going to be the best news you've ever heard. You don't have to be more religious to be made right with God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. No one's able to be that good. And Paul says we all need Christ. Our sinful nature presents us from living sinlessly. And so that's why God wants to give us a new nature. A new nature. So, in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or a cross made of wood from a tree. 
so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, which was to be made right with God, would come to Gentiles, those people who aren't even very religious, even Tasmanians, so that we might receive the promised, here it is again, spirit through faith, by trusting Christ. Through trusting Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. You may need that grace from the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates, which is that word, makes you born again. He baptizes you, fills you afresh with a, with a power not of your own. And he will not leave you the way you are. He will sanctify you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who brings about something in the person before they've even become a Christian. And I'm here today to tell you, you may have come in today thinking you are a scadillion miles away from that ever happening in you. But I'm telling you, you are just one prayer away from being made right with God. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 6 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who ministers the result of Christ's cross into the soul of a pre-Christian. A relationship with God is just a prayer away. More from Dr. Corbett next week as we continue in Galatians. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.